Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood and entertainment generally. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media and sports attorney. We got the sports one in there now, and I'm your... (laughs) I gotta throw it in, Mesh. Um, Dude, I love it. Every time it's just like bigger flex, bigger flex. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, founder of Lola Media, pop culture enthusiast. I don't have much to flex. I, I, I feel like mine... I just keep dumbing mine down every episode that we do. (laughs) Well, I just, I felt like, you know, just so our audience knows, I mean, I was in Atlanta this week. I just got back and I was at the Sports Lawyers Association legal conference. It was my first time attending, although I've been doing a fair amount of sports law for the past five years or so. I think a lot of people in the audience will realize sports and entertainment are actually really closely intertwined. Some would say they're one in the same industry. There's no shortage of LeBron James, Draymond Green. All these athletes are influencers and they're creating content in their own right. So the overlap is really strong and I enjoy doing sport. I'm a big fan of sports. And so I actually think being a sports lawyer is the same as being an entertainment lawyer in a lot of ways. Love it, man. I mean, they, I, I, w- I would put them in the same category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many of our fans are sports fans, If you know, but I wouldn't say we're not in our lane. I think they're kind of the same lane. Yeah. But there's nuances to both, right? Like film is different than TV, is different than music, is different than sports. But at the end of the day, it's content and people are having fun consuming it. And that's the point. Well, consuming entertainment. I mean, part of the reason, is that why your your voice is coarse, Paul? Tell us what's going that, on. That is, yeah. I don't know if you guys can tell, but my, my last night in Atlanta, one of my clients actually told me, his artist name is The Wirelight, and he's also in a Oasis cover band called Broasis, and they played a show last <laughs> night. And my wife and I went to support, and honestly, it was an amazing time. I don't remember. I kind of forgot because I was a kid when Oasis was just dominating the charts. Dominating. And, you know, got, you know, in the chronology, then you start listening to hip hop and then dance music and whatever. But like Oasis was an amazing band and they had two incredible albums. And this band played both of them. And so I was screaming at the top of my lungs, jumping up and down. And I can't, I'm I'm a little hoarse right now. I'm a a big Oasis fan. What's the story, Morning Glory? One of my favorite albums ever made. You know, 
I did sing Wonderwall at my 11th grade talent show and absolutely killed it. Me and probably a million other kids. But come on, man. Like, Oasis is just... It's kind of sad to see what happened, but I love the I love the fact that like I would love to go see an Oasis cover band. So you're lucky. Yeah, you should. I mean, Bro Oasis. I think they're actually a, an Athens court of UGA band, but they were in Atlanta for the show oh, and cool. they were amazing. They did it all, all the hits, not even the not hits. And the singer looked like Liam had the same temperament, had the same sunglasses. Like it was really to a T. I mean, I recommend anyone that gets a chance to check out Bro Oasis. You should absolutely do it. Also want to shout out to Jack O'Brien, Miles Gray, host of the Daily Zeitgeist. They had us on their podcast last week. I think it dropped May 11th. Two super cool, smart, fun, amazing, funny guys. That was a lot of fun. We we had It was a nice change to our pace where we got to like jump in and out and have some fun. We'll link it in the show notes, but that was a fun episode. Yeah. Different sides of our personality for sure. This week on Tuesday, I will be on a Reddit Ask Me Anything about Marvel Studio or Marvel Studio subreddit Ask Me Anything. So definitely we're going to link to that too. If you're a fan of Marvel or a fan of the show or just want to know more about sort of the behind the scenes, definitely come on and ask away. No limits here. Although I, I don't have to answer every question if there's a sort of confidentiality issue or whatever, I, I won't get into it. But Definitely, it will be very informative. Oh, wait, wait. Most one, importantly. One, one more. Oh, you're about to do the, the chart thing? You're telling everyone where we're at? Yeah. Thank you to the fans. Top 50, number 42, entertainment news podcast. And this is definitely a, really validating for us. We put a lot of work into this. It's fun, but we also, it's a sacrifice. And we want to keep making great episodes and to entertain and educate you. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It is really amazing. Honestly, thanks to everyone for listening. But it's like, it was really cool to see us break. I mean, I think the highest we got was 49 when we debuted. And to like be at 42, it's like see ourselves, you know, growing, going up the charts. And like, look, it's a slog, man. Podcast, it takes a long time to get things going. And it's rewarding from like a standpoint of it's just nice to know that people like the show and are listening to it. So thanks everyone for listening. On the other hand, it's like, why are they only 42? You know, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, we're very grateful. We're very grateful, but you know, <laughs> we we're, not, we're not going to stop here. 10. No, no, no. We need to get yeah. to that top 10. Let's kick it off, Paul. I had a quick update I want to do from last week. We talked about Doctor Strange. Turns out Doctor Strange 2, the Multiverse of Madness, had a big drop off from their killer box office open. I was reading about this and they were basically saying it's due to word of mouth. Like it hasn't been spreading as much as people thought. And I think it's one of those things where people are not like, you have to go watch this movie. They're not begging people to go watch it. You're not telling all your friends or people might be waiting. So it is interesting. And you know, you were telling me it's one of the lowest rated Marvel movies. Yeah, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes. And and listen, statistically, I don't think you can ignore Rotten Tomatoes as an aggregator, but it's hit or miss. I mean, I wouldn't base my opinion entirely on what Rotten Tomatoes says no. or Rotten Tomatoes score, but I think more often than not, something that's in the 90s is going to be entertaining than something that's in the 70s, right? Just because it is an aggregator. But I think if you look at the MCU, it's probably in the bottom five or six, Ooh. like dangerously close to Iron Man 2, Avengers 2, Thor 2 territory. Yeah. And so, but- Listen, I mean, it had a great first weekend, so you had to expect a bigger than average drop off because of where it was starting from. Right? Yeah, and here's what I'll say about that. Like, look, Thor 2, Iron Man 2, like I still watch Iron Man 2. There's entertaining parts of it. Thor 2, eh. Doctor Strange 2 wasn't a bad movie. It was actually really, really entertaining. But 
you know, it still is in like the high 70 percentage range for Rotten Tomatoes. I think the audience score is really what matters. But yeah, I mean, look, I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts on it. People are hit or miss about it. Like it was a little disappointing for some folks, just like all those movies are. You can't win them all, Paul. Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, to expect every movie to be a home run, I think is a little ridiculous. But at the same time, you don't have to like everything. No. You see, right. No. And so Avengers 2 was the last sort of movie that I was like, that came out while I was there. I mean, I was on subsequent movies that were in pre-production, but the Avengers 2 premiere was essentially my last day at Marvel. And oh wow, I remember thinking, you know, like there was a ton of excitement at Comic-Con leading up to it. James Spader, really great scenes in Korea. But, you know, it just, for whatever reason, pieces didn't come together or whatever. I, I think objectively it was not anywhere near Endgame, or, and, and not even really Infinity War. So you know, Infinity War and Endgame are on another level. I mean, it, it's okay that right. they don't rank that high. Movies are still entertaining. I mean, when you think about the best Marvel movies, you're like Endgame, Infinity War, of course, Winter Soldier. See, I don't have Infinity War in my, really? in my top. No. Oh, what's your top? No. Off the top of your head. I, Endgame, Iron Man 1, Winter Soldier. I would... <laughs> I'm going to get hate mail. I would put Incredible Hulk in there because I really like the Ed Norton Hulk, but I know a lot of people don't. Oh, oh Thor, Ragnarok. Oh, Thor, Ragnarok was amazing. Thor, Ragnarok yeah. was amazing. Even Guardians. Guardians won. I think there's a big gap between Endgame and Infinity War, but that's I know a lot of people disagree with me. Yeah, I would say that a lot of people think that Infinity they rank Infinity War over Endgame, but I would say the two together... I mean, if I'm quickly doing my top three, it would be Endgame, Infinity, or top five, Endgame, Infinity War... Winter Soldier, Iron Man 1, and then, you know, there's there's something else in there. Maybe the first Avengers. See, Ragnarok, I thought was like a perfect, I mean, it didn't have everyone, but it was funny. There was drama. It was funny. It was fast-paced. It was super fun. But yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. So another, obviously, Disney-related update is they release their quarterly numbers. And unlike Netflix, their Disney Plus direct-to-consumer bundle subscriber base is still growing. You know, it's great to distinguish themselves from Netflix in that regard, although Netflix could add subs in the future. It's not that they can't. But in a market where, you know, the stock market is sort of like shifting their view on streaming and it's a lot more apprehensive as opposed to being optimistic about it, it was good that Disney showed the growth. Although I was surprised to see that their direct-to-consumer revenue was almost $5 billion and their entire linear business revenue was $7 billion, which is, I mean, it's crazy to think that they're almost neck and neck, although I would say that, DTC still posted a loss, a rather significant, almost billion-dollar loss. Yeah, I mean, look, Disney stock in the last year is down 37%, but for context, everything's down. Everything's getting smashed. Right. Like, If you're down 37% in the last year, you're probably in the, like, we're doing better than, you know, I mean, shit, Coinbase is down, like, 70 80%. Like, a lot of these tech companies are down 70 80%. But Disney, I well, mean— Well, they have parks, right? And their parks have been, you know, Disney's a, a well-diversified content company. It's, right, Shinglom. Right, so the parks thing, I mean, they're not allowed to be open in Shanghai or whatever, but, like, everyone I know that has gone to a Disney park has just loved it, right? Oh. Like, that's an entertainment experience that you can't really create in a metaverse, I don't think. One of my very good friends, him and his wife, are taking their kids— in like October, and they're like, hey, do you want to come? I'm like, 
Absolutely. I'm going to check out the Disney parks and all that stuff. But, you know, but like just to finish off on this thing, I mean, their revenue did grow 23% from a year ago. Revenue is 19.2 billion. They added more than 20 million Disney Plus subscribers in the last six months, 8 million in Q2. From like a streaming standpoint, those are legit numbers. And the other thing, you know, they're pulling their content off of other competing platforms, simultaneously making themselves stronger while weakening their competitors. So yeah. it remains to be seen how this shakes out. Everybody knew DTC was gonna be a huge investment to get it going but you want to be able to control the distribution and not be subject to the same forces as linear television. So it's just a long-term investment play for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, let's talk about Kendrick Lamar's new album and deep fakes. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Paul, important question. Have you listened to the new Kendrick album? I mean, everyone's talking about this. Spotify has been featuring it. I've been listening to it. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but I like it so far. I haven't listened to the whole thing. I did. I watched the music video in the hard part five, actually in preparation for our daily zeitgeist appearance. And then again, obviously when we were preparing for this show, I, I like Kendrick Lamar and I haven't had a chance to listen to this whole album, but I've just been busy with the conference and everything. Maybe I'll listen to it on my way into the office this week. Die Hard I yeah. have on repeat. That is a jam. Okay. Highly recommend it. Yeah. And I was brushing up on Young Thug too because I thought we might do the episode about him and his all his Rico charges. But yeah, Kendrick for sure. So listen, this music video is, I know he wasn't doing this for purposes of Better Call Paul, but it literally is like a final exam worth of legal issues in this one five minute music video. And just so, why don't you tell the fans just in case they haven't seen it, what he's doing here? Yeah, so in the music video, it's just Kendrick rapping on screen. There's nothing else besides him, but his face starts to change as he's like, as certain lyrics are being presented. And using deep fake technology, his face changes into like multiple different people. You have Kanye West, OJ Simpson, Will Smith, Kobe, Nipsey Hussle, and our favorite person. Last but not least. Last but not least, Jesse Smollett. I mean, this guy's just following us everywhere. But the whole issue is that, is this copyright infringement? Like, where does deep fakes land with like, can you do that without people's permission? And Paul, like, I know we're not going to get too deep on it, but I would love to get your thoughts on that. High-level thoughts, because this is an episode in and of itself, or even multiple episodes because of the complexity of this. Here's how it would be approached as a lawyer, right? You either are for it or against it. Let's say Jesse Smollett, if he didn't otherwise give permission to be in the music video, assuming he wasn't featured, because I don't know, if maybe he does have a rap career, and maybe that was him. But 
let's say my client likeness was used in the music video without their permission. They would give me a call and be like, hey, what can we do about this? And then you have to go through all the different legal arguments. You could say potentially copyright infringement. You could say potentially false impersonation or improper use of someone's likeness or using their likeness without their permission or violation of the right of privacy or publicity, potentially defamation. So there's a lot of legal arguments you could make as to say, hey, either you have to take this down or you have to get my permission or you have to pay me royalties or whatever. I think probably I haven't done a deep dive on all these different causes of action and what they all mean in terms of like the likelihood of prevailing on these facts. Certainly, if any of them granted permission to this, then they're not going to have a cause of action, well, depending on whether the use was within the scope of the permission granted. But I actually think copyright is a tough argument to make because there's a strong defense, right? So to say it's a breach of copyright implies that there was either an image or an audio clip that was reproduced without permission. And these deep fakes don't really cut and paste images. What they do is they take thousands of images to inform an algorithm that creates the appearance of this other person, right? But they move the same way Kendrick's face would move. Like they're saying the lyrics yeah. that Kendrick is saying. So it's really hard to say it's infringement. If anything, right, like it could be a transformative use, like it's something that would be considered a fair use because courts, fair use is a very sort of nuanced fact-based concept. And I would not tell anyone to rely on a fair use defense without consulting a lawyer specifically at the time that you, you know, want to know the answer to a question. But I think that's a strong likelihood that that would be a valid defense here. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, like, I'm watching this video. I was blown away at how real that shit looked. Yeah. And it was a little freaky. And I've been, the, the deep fake thing I've been following. And like I said, we'll get deeper on this on a, no pun intended, on a, on a later episode. But like the very famous deep fake is the Tom Cruise deep fake guy who actually went to college with my cousin. And he looks like Tom Cruise. And then he's been doing the Tom Cruise deep fake. I think the account is actually called Tom Cruise deep fake. And like he's just going around. And like acting like Tom Cruise. And in the back of my head, I'm always like, uh, can you do that? Like, is Tom, can Tom Cruise be like, you know, file some type of like, hey, stop doing this. Like, people don't know whether that's me or not. I think that's what freaks me out about deep fake stuff because, like, instead of needing anyone for your video, you could just do deep fakes and like not have to have anyone in your video, like, right? Like, schedule with them or pay them to be in your video or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, there, there are contractual. Usually there's legal prohibitions against that, like tort of impersonation or even false impersonation, which is a crime. Really, it is a fact-intensive analysis, and there's things you can do to minimize that risk, and there's things that will make it more risky, which we can discuss at the time. But this issue, the ramifications of it in terms of things like the metaverse or political advertising or even news reporting is incredibly sensitive, and it may be the sort of thing where copyright may need to evolve or Congress may need to step in and make a new statute right, about right, deep right. fakes, right? Because trying to fit this within our existing legal structure, it could be like round peg in a square hole or whatever the, the saying is, square peg, round hole. Because we have an existing structure, we may try to shoehorn this into that, but it doesn't really fit. It's not quite copyright infringement. Maybe it's false impersonation because it may not be a violation of a right of publicity because there may not be a commercial element to it. So I think the law is always evolving and this may be something where there needs to be a new statute because the risks to this and, and people being misinformed are significant. And so definitely something we can discuss further. Yeah, it's interesting because like the video in this case, it's Kendrick Lamar, one of the hottest 
musicians in the world, and I was looking at it. It's already he broke had, the internet, right? Yeah, so. like twenty five million downloads. Spotify had issues because everyone's trying to stream this album. So if anything, if he's doing a deep fake on you, I feel like okay, cool. Like Kendrick thinks I'm cool enough, sure. or important enough, or within whatever the context was to be on my music video. So I, I mean, if I was featured, which I wouldn't be, I would be like ecstatic. Obviously, I mean, we're talking about it as if there were some sort of issue or dispute here just from an academic standpoint. But if everyone's cool with it, then there's no reason to call Paul. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's do another episode because I would love to dive in and we could we could talk about the whole Tom Cruise stuff later. But let's take a quick break and then um, we'll get into our main topic for this week. This is an interesting topic because we're now over two years into whatever you want to call it, post-pandemic, since the beginning. And now we've got this big story that's come out when it comes to insurance claims for entertainment industry, specifically around live events, sports, music, you name it, where you would think that if you had insurance, insurers would be like, okay, sure, you've like lost millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. I think in, in uh, Major League Baseball, it's like a billion dollars of losses. You have insurance to like help cover that type of stuff. But the issue here is that these cases are not really going in favor of the people who are filing claims. It's going in favor of the insurance companies who are like, yeah, we don't have to do that. This is ultimately, like to simplify it, this comes down to insurance is a contractual protection that you can purchase. You pay an insurance company a monthly premium, right, for them to cover you if certain risks arise and if those risks materialize and then you're damaged as a result. Right. So it's not a one size fits all. Hey, if something bad happens to my business, I can write a letter to my insurance company and get coverage. Right. So these are actually relatively narrowly defined buckets of coverage that you can get within up to certain amounts. Right. Like a million dollars in coverage or three million or five million or whatever. The insurance companies are incredibly sophisticated and they issue coverage based on their estimation of risk. But they also build in a little bit of a profit margin for themselves, because otherwise, why would they do it? Right. right. Insurance companies aren't in the business of underestimating risk generally. I mean, it happens. Sure. And we can talk about that at the end. But they're usually very sophisticated and they have more information than the typical insurance consumer does. So I'm not surprised by the fact that the insurance companies are basically like batting a thousand in these cases. Yeah. But I think that people need to understand what the scope of their coverage is and where they're protected and where they aren't, because that's how you make business decisions. And no question, March of 2020, at the start of the pandemic, all of us felt like we were in an uncharted territory as far as the, you know, the world shutting down, people working remotely, any sort of live entertainment-based or location-based entertainment was basically making zero revenue for three to four months at least, right? And, and even, I mean, some of the red states were the quickest to reopen, but the businesses were decimated for at least three or four months. And a lot of businesses didn't make it through. And while the government did intervene in terms of PPP loans and you know wealth transfers and stimulus checks, it doesn't necessarily, you know, PPP loans weren't available to large businesses. So if you're a business and you have this huge hit to your revenue, it's logical to 
you know, say, hey, maybe I should file an insurance claim. Yeah. Right. Because I'm injured or my business was shut down. I, it's not my fault. I had nothing to do with this. So I've been paying thousands or hundreds of thousands or whatever to my insurance company. It's time for me to withdraw from that piggy bank. And the insurance companies, almost without exception, were like, no. Yeah, basically. We're not paying you anything. Yeah. And you can see us in court because they read the fine print, I guess, is what it comes down to. And we, we can talk about like the specific examples, right? But like, Mesh, I, I want to understand this isn't unique to entertainment in the right, sense right, that, right. you know, there's an entertainment insurance companies that are just smarter or sneakier. It happens to homeowners too, because homeowners, yeah. especially in California, a lot of people don't realize, or you have to now because your broker has to tell you, earthquake is not included in your homeowner's insurance policy, right? So if you have a home, and a lot of times fire is included, but only within certain circumstances. And insurance companies are going to try to find all the reasons they can to not write you a check. Right. So whether something's in the gray area, if it could be considered an act of God, which is excluded right. as opposed to run-of-the-mill disaster. So things like you could... You know, if your house gets flooded, you may be surprised to find out. And after Hurricane Sandy, a lot of homeowners found out that flooding was not covered within their standard homeowners policy. It, like I said, in California, earthquake isn't included. So you have to pay extra for that. Right. And generally speaking, property insurance or insurance policies cover damage to your property. So if someone, let's say you're in a restaurant, someone comes in, they slip, they fall, they break their ankle, they sue you. Yes, your insurance may cover that if you weren't otherwise negligent. Or if a car jumps the curve and breaks your window, right? That's an injury to your physical business that you can file an insurance claim for. But the thing with these COVID claims is there wasn't actually property damage. It was, you weren't allowed to open your business, right. but there was no right. damage to your property. And that's the hook that these insurance companies are relying on to say, okay, well, let me go through your policy. Show me where the injury to your property occurred. Where was the physical damage? And you're like, well, there wasn't any right. physical damage. Right. I just wasn't able to be open. Okay, well, that's you don't have that coverage because that's pandemic coverage. And then, you know, but I want to be clear that if you just read the title of the coverage, that's not enough. Right. Because you could have something like business interruption insurance, which to a lay person might say, okay, my business wasn't able to be open. I had nothing to do with it. You know, Gavin Newsom said that all restaurants had to close because we had, you know, 10,000 positive cases a day in LA County. So I, it's not my fault. Why I want my business was interrupted. But then the insurance company says, well, well, we took a close look at your policy, your 300 page long document that you maybe never even saw. And it says that it's an additional add on to your injury to your property damage coverage, right? So, for example, if your business, like if the roof caves in or something and that's a covered loss, if you have business interruption insurance, what we might do is we might increase your payout to cover the three weeks that it took you to be that you were closed and you had to reopen, right? So, it's an add-on. It doesn't cover additional forms of risk, yeah. right? So yeah. you still need that injury to happen. And a lot of these companies that are filing lawsuits, either they felt that their business interruption insurance should have covered that, or they didn't read their policies, or they were just like, hey, let's roll the dice. There's too much money at stake. Let's say, you know, I could potentially, if I win, I could make, you know, a $20 million insurance. I could get $20 million from my policy, and I have a, 5% chance of winning. So you know, do the math. If it costs them a million bucks, then maybe they'll do it. They'll file the claim. But it's that's really what it comes down to is the actual scope of coverage is a lot narrower 
than what they thought. And if they did take a look at their policy, they may have just decided to roll the dice because they had nothing to lose, or maybe they would just you know cover the cost of grasping at straws. We were all kind of caught off guard by the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and look, at the end of the day, it's also like the amount of claims that are out there. Insurance companies are not prepared to cover that. I mean, insurance company is very much a statistics game. And, and this thing came out of nowhere. And, and obviously, in this case, just for context for the audience to know, we're talking like 2,300 lawsuits now that are challenging the coverage decisions where insurance companies don't have that capacity for. And 80 percent of those cases have been tossed out. I read this yeah. in The Hollywood Reporter, and that includes folks like UTA, the um, the talent management agency, Paramount, Live Nation are all suing. And you know, I was reading something else where it's like, well, you have to prove that the virus was present in your properties to affect your business, in which case it wasn't because they were shut down to avoid the virus spreading in all these places. And I have this quote here from The Hollywood Reporter, Brian Sullivan, an attorney in the entertainment industry who has represented policyholders, estimate that those who opt for COVID-19 coverage pay an additional 10 to 15%. If it's a big enough production, insurance alone could be half a million to a million dollars, he says. If you're doing a Marvel movie, I'm sure it's much greater than that, around 10 million. At those numbers, it has an impact. Exactly. And so the idea here is insurers will sell you coverage which covers specific buckets of risk, but there's a price to that. And they they have an army of actuaries and risk management people and number crunchers to say, okay, I mean, it's all still an educated guess. There's no certainty here. But right. if something like a Marvel movie gets shut down and you're talking a $200 million, $250 million movie, you know, they're going to do the math and say, okay, if we have to write you a $50 million check because you were shut down for three weeks, um, you know, what is the likelihood that that happens? Let's say it's one in 10 chance that that happens, that we have to write you a $50 million check. So your policy, you know, our break even is, let's say, 5 million, but they're not going to write it to you for less than 10 because they need to make some profit and they have to cover right. their expenses. And so when you look at your policy it, and typically, because I've had to buy insurance and I've, I've also had to represent clients when they're looking into this, although we don't get super involved in it, they're looking to pay the lowest premium they can, right? So it's like, what is the contractual amount of coverage they have to have? What's the lowest one? And then, so they're looking to comply with minimums, not necessarily to get an ideal amount of coverage or an optimal amount of coverage. They just want to pay the sort of the lowest monthly amount. And of course, in that, when you're in that sort of sphere, you're not thinking about, okay, well, this is going to cover me for every single scenario. Maybe you are thinking that, but in reality, you're typically talking to multiple insurance companies with a broker and bidding out insurance quotes, and you're going to pick the lowest one often, and that one is not going to have the most robust coverage. But it's a business decision. It is, yeah. Right, like you said, in the Marvel case, if you want to spend $10 million insuring your production, then great, you're, you're probably more protected than someone that isn't. But if nothing ever happens, then that's $10 million you could have spent on the movie. Right. I mean, it's kind of even the decisions that we make I mean, think about any time you go rent a car, right? Like you rent a car and they give you the options. A lot of people just opt out of anything because they're like, well, what are the chances I get into an accident? I always think about downside risk. I pay X so that I don't have, like in case something happens. I mean, that's basically how you make a decision around insurance. But I'm usually the person who opts out. Maybe for not like, you know, if there's three choices, I usually go for the middle choice. I'm definitely not the person that will opt out completely because I'm just like, it's just way too much risk to take. I'd rather pay for like peace of mind. Right, or stuff. like, you know, Apple Care, right? Like, right. 
you know, with AirPods, it's a really good decision because not trying to criticize them, but I would say Apple Care is a good idea if you have AirPods, but it may not be necessary if you have an iPhone if you don't drop it all the time or whatever. Well, I mean, and then when you think about it, a MacBook Pro, like it lasts you usually around five to six years. Getting Apple Care for three years probably is a good right. decision. And that that's just another example of it. Now, there is the sort of final angle on this is the government can intervene. And like I, I said before, the government intervened in the pandemic with the the huge sort of wealth transfers, the PPP loans, the stimulus checks. But another thing, there are proposals in certain states to basically say, if you had business interruption insurance, then regardless of whether or not there's a physical injury to your business or your property, COVID-related claims should be covered. And that, I don't know how far these are going to go. There's a proposal in California, but generally speaking, there's a lot of resistance towards sort of retroactively expanding the scope of coverage in a way that would harm insurers because it's just when two parties do a deal, you know, the insurance that you paid for was priced out at a certain amount of risk that the insurance company was willing to take on. If the government intervenes and ex greatly expands the scope, insurance companies are going to, you know, turn around, they're going to raise their rates, they're going to raise their premiums, and they may not cover future risks. So I think I'm curious to see how that plays out. I don't think we know how it's going to go, but those things are being discussed. And another example of this, for anyone that sort of remembers 1992, Hurricane Andrew completely changed everyone's perception of what a hurricane could do, right? Like hurricanes had come and go, but Hurricane Andrew was a category five, I don't know, like 200 mile an hour winds, kind of decimated South Florida and Miami. And the insured losses were... I don't know, five, four or five times what the worst case scenario that insurance companies had been forecasting at that time. And oh, as wow. a result, you know, I'm not going to get into the sort of weeds on this, but the federal government essentially now subsidizes insurance in Florida. And so insurance, because if that didn't happen, then the cost of wind and hurricane insurance would be so high that developers wouldn't would really be, build yeah. there the way they do now. Right. So- if there are insured losses over a certain threshold, you know, every U.S. taxpayer is going to pick the bill up for that. And we're not really being a political, but that's just kind of a fact. Yeah. I'm curious to see how moving forward, like as a business, do you think about this moving forward? Like, yeah, we had a pandemic. No one thought we would. Is it something that you opt in for because the losses were so massive? And then how do insurance companies adjust to that, you know, knowing this might be the case? So I'm curious to see what happens. Well, in, in, in one context, I would say, so we have clients that hire production companies to make content, right? TV shows, shorts, films, what have you. And we approve the budget. And we also, within that budget, right, there's a line item for insurance. So we're looking at, okay, we agreed that you could spend X on this project. And we also agreed that we're not paying for insurance. So whatever the insurance costs are, are coming out of the top line number that we approved. So then there's, when they submit the sort of proposal, they are, they're always thin on insurance because they want to do the minimum and put the rest towards whatever, you know, talent above the line, below the line, production, location, whatever it is. And so there's often some sort of pushback tug of war, because if you're, funding the project, then you don't want any risk. And you're like, no, I don't want you to go cheap on insurance. This is the amount that I approved because I was expecting you to get sort of like the highest level, most protective policy. But the production company's incentive is to use the money elsewhere. And so it's just a constant, you know, it's a business decision, right? Ultimately, you have to evaluate the risk and, and take a look at what the policy costs. 
But the more information you have when you make that decision, the better it'll be. Well, always informative. That's our show for this week. I think, you know, I'm excited to actually go back to the deep fake stuff when we cover it in, you know, next week or the next couple of weeks. I do have a quick recommendation, though, for folks. If you haven't seen the Nicolas Cage movie where he's playing a caricature of himself, highly, highly recommend it. It is an absolute blast. Paul, I think you should totally love check to. it out. Would love to. Maybe next weekend. Yeah. Dude, check it out. And next time that Oasis cover band's in town, let me know. I'm excited for everyone to see your Reddit AMA. And again, thanks everyone for listening. And make sure you're subscribed to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Write us a review on Apple if you want to help us out. And you can follow me at Meshlakani on Twitter. And Instagram, we got Better Call Paul, the podcast. Better Call Paul. I'll link it in the show notes. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler Gonzalez, with assistant producer Justin Sanchez and assistant research producer Haas Nasser. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody.